0: Hey there, discerning ThoughtBot podcast listener. I just wanted to take a quick moment to ask for your feedback. There's so many cool things that we'd love to do with all the shows and want to know how you feel about our sponsor reads and the possibility of starting a Patreon-style campaign to make them all possible. If you could head over to tbot.io survey for a super short questionnaire, your input would be much appreciated. That link again is tbot.io survey. And hey, thanks
1: giant robots smashing into other giant robots hello everybody and welcome to the giant robots smashing to other giant robots podcast i'm ben and i'm here with derek and we're going to be talking about products and tech and things like that
0: products and tech
1: yeah how's your week going
0: um my well, week's going good um we are in the midst of preparing to onboard a few more new hires okay. so uh, more people scaling things going on this week mm-hmm. um Next week, we have a new support engineer and a new designer joining the team. So that's cool. So what will that how many people will that bring you up to? um, I was actually just trying to tally it up. And it's kind of it's kind of messy now because we have like given the Leadpages team some of the responsibilities that used to live within core drip team. But there's going to be about five developers, a person working on educational content, person working on growth. Um, We have like four support people. Most of those are kind of managed by the, the Lead Pages support team. They do a really good job of just onboarding and scaling up the support side of things. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's me and Rob, and uh, I'm trying to think if I'm missing anybody. But yeah, it is kind of interesting because there's like the overlap, like marketing team, you know, the marketing design team at Lead Pages was the ones who uh, redesigned the new Drip marketing website. So, mm-hmm. you know, those things that used to live in house now are just kind of like taken over by their team. So, mm-hmm.
1: This might not be a question for you, but when you say growth, is that marketing as like, is that the same thing or is it not the same thing?
0: Yeah, it's basically marketing. Okay. Um, so Zach, who's on our team, used to wear many different hats pre-acquisition. Um, you know, he would work on pretty much anything that would help drive new trials into the product. Mm-hmm. And now he's kind of focusing in on managing our content. So he's managing the blog and pretty much anything that that goes on to there.
1: Gotcha. So his responsibility is sort of end at the trial gets started.
0: Right. Yeah. That's right.
1: That's that's good to know. So we're we've been doing some talking and uh, we are looking for someone in marketing. We're hiring someone, I think, at least part time for now. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a classic developer thing where we're solid at the development and the design, but we put not enough effort into the marketing sales side of things. Right. And I was I was meeting with Chad, our CEO the other day, and I was like, maybe we shouldn't be like the only company that doesn't do marketing and sales. You know, like maybe that's not where we should innovate is by not doing those things. Right. So we've sort of done it not great. We've like outsourced it a couple times, worked with some outside companies, never to like much result. And it, it just felt like a thing that we, it was worth trying having someone in-house at
0: least part-time to start to just see what happens there. Yeah. So is this primarily for marketing the products that thoughtbot offers yes upcase form keep those kinds of things yeah exactly okay so there's a there's a portfolio of products at this point so
1: yeah they're all fair game and who does like
0: you know marketing on the consultancy side of the business is that someone in house
1: yeah so dan croak is our chief marketing officer and he spends a lot of uh, time and effort on that Got it. And so Dan would be great at the product stuff as well, but he has less time available because he does a little bit of consulting and then also stuff for the uh, marketing for the consulting side of the business. So sure. rather sure. than try to ask him to take on a new thing and split his attention even more, this felt yep. like a good a good change.
0: Yeah, cool.
1: So I'm, I'm curious, actually, if you have any advice on like how to look for this person or test this person or hire this person. Um, I have some ideas of my own, but I've never this is the first time I've needed to hire for, or one of the first times I've needed to hire for a role that's like so different than my own. Yeah. And so like one thought I had initially was looking for referrals. That's clearly a really good, like place to start. Mm -hmm. And if I find someone that I think is really good, but we can't hire them, ask them to help us hire a person. Mm -hmm. Like basically, can we pay you some amount of money, some consulting fee to help us review candidates or help us like, uh, evaluate people.
0: Huh? That's an interesting idea. Yeah.
1: I stole it from uh, Brian, uh, Brian Cassell over at uh, Bootstrap Web, which is a great yeah. podcast.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: So that's one thought I had.
0: Yeah. I like that idea a lot. I mean, I so in terms of like specifically hiring for that role, I don't you know, I've never really taken on that kind of task of hiring for the, for a marketing type role. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have like anecdotes about what we look for when we hire developers and and those types of things. But yeah, I think that does sound like a really good idea if it's not something that you have. Intimate knowledge about hiring for than soliciting someone who does. Um, yeah. seems like a, an advisable thing to do.
1: Yeah. I don't even know what to call it because it seems like all the, if you're like fresh and hip, you call it growth. And if right. you're old and stodgy, you call it marketing or something. I don't know. Like I just, I just don't know the world well enough. So I feel yeah. like even the, even the language is like, can be a signal to people that know what's going on. And sure. I, I'm not even sure what to call it, honestly. Yeah. Even how to evaluate this person or to tell them like what part of the process they're responsible for. I was mm-hmm. thinking, like, how do you? What what are the like the KPIs for a marketing person? And it sounds like for Drip, at least, it's increased
0: to number of trials. I suppose. Yeah, it's like it depends on what area of the funnel that you're you're looking for. Like, basically for SaaS, we found like top of the funnel stuff is like the very first point to focus on. So if you can increase trials, then you can work on you know optimizing onboarding and then and then optimizing retention. So those are kind of like the stages of the funnel and. Yep. It's good to have somebody focusing on the the top of the funnel for sure, um, mm-hmm. and then you know there's all kinds of different things you can bite off there. You can you know pursue content marketing, you can pursue paid acquisition. So you know there's a lot of different areas. Just to say, like top of the funnel marketing, that's kind of a, a broad category. Right. But you know this person would probably I'm I'm imagining you would want them to pull together different resources, like maybe work on hiring writers or contracting out writing if if content marketing is something that you're looking to do Mm -hmm. and this person kind of just has the knowledge to uh to know how to plan strategy and delegate those tasks yeah so Um, that sounds
1: ideal i I think we're at a point where we don't we don't have a cohesive strategy mm -hmm. and so the kind of person we're looking for would be able to start like tell us the strategy from scratch yeah so that's that's kind of what we're looking for
0: yeah has By and large, the marketing just kind of been people who are familiar with ThoughtBot and kind of what ThoughtBot does just gradually discover the products. Basically, yes. Um,
1: For a while with uh, at least like FormKeep, we were working with an outside company who was writing blog posts for us once a week. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't see a good ROI on that. I think they were like maybe just a little too general and like not technical enough for our audience or something. Or maybe there's some other missing piece there in the promotion Mm -hmm. or I don't know. I'm not sure what happened, but uh, we just didn't see good return from that hmm So it's mostly been like most of our people come from like someone wrote a blog post, mentions FormKeep. That's been good for us. Like Zapier has like a review of FormKeep that ranks fairly right. well for certain search terms. And so that sends us a decent amount of traffic. And yeah, right. the, the Thoughtbot Association for sure uh contributes a good amount. Right. But there hasn't no one has basically, for more than, you know, a handful of weeks uh sat down and been like, all right, here's our current traffic, here's what's working. What are we gonna double down on? What are we gonna not spend time on? What are some experiments mm-hmm. we can try? Uh, and and there have been some small efforts in that way, but but no one whose job it was for a long time. Yeah, It makes sense. And this it feels it feels <laughs> that feels kind of silly to me. Like shouldn't someone whose job that is clearly have a positive ROI on the business? Mm-hmm. Like shouldn't putting money into that clearly turn into more money? And if not, like what is going on? So it's like, if it feels like this should be the easiest decision to make is to like at least run experiments there, at least try somebody.
0: Yeah. Uh, Probably for, yeah, I would imagine for the next stage of growth for a lot of the products, more features are not necessarily needed. It's kind of like, I'm figuring that you're ahead on development and maybe a little bit behind on the marketing side. For sure. Um, which we've we've found that in different points in time through Drip's history, like we would, we would be spending, you know, a good chunk of months building out new functionality and then we'd realize like, we haven't capitalized on all the things we've built in the last month just because we've been focused so heads down on adding new functionality. And then it's like, you know, we kind of have to refocus and let marketing catch up with development. So yeah, it's like yeah. always this balance, you know. Totally. Our company is full of designers and developers.
1: So it's like yeah. it, the moment we need code written or like a new landing page, like that's like a pretty easy thing to get done. Right. Um, but so we're our blind spot is in those other parts of, the f- of growing a company. And I, I watched a great video. Did I mention this last week? Maybe by uh, I'm not sure, but uh, Greg Pollock uh,
0: from Code uh, School. No, I don't, I don't think so. I don't so, think
1: so. Cool. So Greg Pollock uh, was the founder of Code School mm-hmm. and Envy Labs, and he did a really nice video series, like a four-part, like four one-hour videos. And one of the videos is a is like his story of Code School from start to acquisition. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, with and it was very interesting. And so I watched that. And one of the things he he took away from that experience was. So he, he had sort of the same thing where he's, you know, I'm a developer. All we have to do is, you know, write code and make a good product and then people will come buy it. Uh, mm-hmm. And somewhere towards the end of the video, his, his takeaway was actually, we should have about half the people doing development and half the people doing marketing. We should split our time roughly 50-50. Mm-hmm. And we're more yep. like 99-1. So right. it's time to try some changes.
0: Yeah. Seems like a, a good move.
1: Yeah. Overall. and th- This feels like a, bl- like a, a blind spot in, in my skill set as well. Like if you give me a product and I want to make it grow, I know how to do certain things from a product management standpoint. And I think I'm pretty good at evaluating things like pricing and features and and what needs to be built and all that. But I have a a big blind spot in the top of the funnel stuff.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you, is that is that something that you are interested in improve, like increasing your skill set on? Or do you feel like um, right now, timing wise, it's better to just bring on someone from the outside to, to take it on?
1: Yeah, it's it's a good question. It does sort of appeal to me, just in, in terms of like making my toolbox bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, although I will say, like so far, I found I am happiest in like a product management type role yeah. because it's a mix of talk, like a mix of like talking to customers, figuring out what to do next, writing some code, getting into flow state from time to time is probably yeah. like what makes me happiest so far. Yeah, um, I do enjoy things like writing blog posts and you know pouring over analytics and things like that. But I, I haven't found it quite as fulfilling as the other work, and yeah. so I would love to improve those skills by learning them from someone that knows what's up, as opposed to sort of starting from scratch with myself and trying to to build that. I think sure that's worked for everything else in my career. Like nothing not, to me, like nothing is quite as fast as learning from someone that knows it already mm-hmm. and working with them. So like I wouldn't mind being like a part-time apprentice for the if we hire someone that's really solid in this in this way. Yep, but I, I think my eventual happy place still has code and product management in it.
0: Yeah, I think I'm probably the same way. Like I've thought about like down the line in my career, if I build more products, am I going to be pretty far removed from actually building the product? You know, am I going to hire developers Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. kind of do that side of it so I can focus on the growth and marketing and all that, all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and it sounds like that's ideal, like a lot of people make that transition from being the developer who just is doing all the code and then stepping away from the code so they can focus on growing the business. Right. Um, that was that was I Rob, think, right, with you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Rob hasn't written any code for Drip, mm-hmm. um, and that was deliberate. We chose a tech stack that he didn't know just so that he, yep, yep. he wouldn't be tempted. I remember him saying um, that. So, I mean, I, I've watched, you know, that's that's what his trajectory has been. And I think I would, I would still have to mentally get to the place where I can uh, fill the same amount of wins from implementing a really killer marketing strategy or something like that. You Mm -hmm. know, it's hard to, it's still for me hard to think of, of those types of tasks the same way I think of knocking out a development task, Mm -hmm. you know, actually solving a problem for a customer by building a feature. Mm -hmm. So I think Rob has gotten there for sure. And probably many others, but I think it's a hard mental leap to make. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm trying
1: to, I'm trying to figure that out myself. Like what, what is most fulfilling to me as opposed Mm -hmm. to like, some arbitrary goal like oh well now that i've done this i should move into this sort of this sort of role right um so we'll see yeah so along those lines so we're we're looking for a marketing person and we've never we also have realized we've never tried any like direct outreach sales efforts for our Mm -hmm. products and so Mm -hmm. that that actually has spent much of this week doing that for hound so i've been reaching out to different ruby consultancies that look sort of like us and talking to them about, you know, how are you dealing with style things? Do you find yourself arguing about style violations in PRs? Things like that. And kind of starting that, like, like an outboundy, hey, are you interested in the solution kind of process. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's mixed. It's not my favorite thing, I'm realizing very quickly. It's like getting back to that whole, like, where am I happiest? Right. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of it as an experiment where it's like, let me try this for a little bit. Let me see if, it's, if, if it seems like there's going to be an ROI here. And then if so, we can... Hire somebody else and say, "Here's we actually have a process that works,"
0: right? But I'm I'm that will not be my permanent job for sure. Yeah, yeah. Seems like maybe maybe your pricing changes have made it a little bit more feasible to do that kind of thing. I would imagine at the what was it before? Was it twelve dollars a month? Flat? Yeah, yeah, per repo. Yeah. Seems like that that could be harder to justify. You know, a, a kind of an outbound sales strategy for um, sure, just from a cost perspective.
1: Yeah, um, exactly. And even at even at the new price points, it's questionable. We have some customers who have been with us. So, like if we if we like sort our customer list by like LTV, uh, uh-huh. there are people in there for whom it would make sense if we could get more accounts like that. Um, right. That I think we can do outbound sales profitably. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see. I'm curious at the, yeah. at the new price points and, and whether or not there's even it's it's a viable strategy for us.
0: Mm-hmm. What else have you been up to? Well, we shipped some stuff, Nice. some some more infrastructure-y type things. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a task that was spearheaded by our new backend scaling engineer uh-huh. uh, and something we've been wanting to do for a long time, which was uh, put our JavaScript snippet, you know, the snippet of JavaScript, everyone and all Drip customers install on their website. Mm-hmm. We wanted to put that into S3 and put a CDN in front of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just kind of like a lower risk way to serve it and also more performant because the CDN can you know make sure that globally the time to serve the tag is is pretty consistent and pretty fast. So it, it's one of those things like you know dealing with cache invalidation was the was the probably the riskiest part of this whole thing. Like wanting to make sure that if someone updates their configuration that mm. javascript file needs to be served the fresh copy of the file needs to be served within 5 minutes of making that change. Mm. And we just had to get to the point where we felt confident enough that it would actually work that way. So mm. Did a ton of testing on it, and we deployed that a couple days ago, and uh, seems to be working well. So, nice. yeah, feels good to eliminate any remaining single points of failure we had in our infrastructure, and I think this was kind of the last biggest one. Nice.
1: Yeah. How has that been technically running a product where you have to drop a snippet on people's pages? That's sort of, like there's. I've had some ideas, product ideas recently that would mm-hmm. in, w- require that. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: how would you? How's, I'm wary of it. <laughs> I'm curious yeah. what, what, you, what you thought of that. It's been pretty smooth. So we started out, the first version of it was a static snippet. So everybody everybody who installed it got the same piece of JavaScript served onto their website. Mm-hmm. But we, we had enough foresight to make sure that everybody's snippet URL was unique. So it had their account ID embedded into it. Mm-hmm. And that way that allowed us to kind of go to phase two, which was pre-compile the stock JavaScript Library that's needed to run, and also their specific configuration data, mm-hmm. so that the snippet didn't have to call home for that configuration every single time the snippet was loaded. Mm-hmm. And that we did that maybe two years ago, because we got to the point where you know there was just a ton of load on our Rails app from this snippet being served mm-hmm. um, every single page load. So you know we put it on its own subdomain, and we made sure that the account ID was embedded in the URL, so that we could serve up unique files and cache things and precompile things. Mm -hmm. So it's been pretty smooth, actually. Um, I mean, we get many thousand requests back to our front end servers from these uh, with visitor data. So I think it it depends on how much data you're looking to send back. Mm. If you were doing something that needed to track every single page load, then you would need obviously a huge database and a lot of capacity because that's just that could potentially be a ton of requests. Mm -hmm. Uh, With Drip, we only send back upon first visit, so that we can capture the original referrer and, you know, different details like their IP address and user agent and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then we just cookie them and we don't keep pinging back to our servers on every single page load. So, hmm.
1: and have you found any like weird interactions between like other JavaScript on the page
0: and your stuff? Not really. I think we it's been pretty smooth in that regard. Probably the biggest challenge has been the fact that we're embedding HTML and CSS on people's websites. Yeah you know, style conflicts and Z index fighting and stuff like hmm. that, um, you know, has been, has been challenging, but now it's pretty resilient. Like it's pretty battle tested. Right. <laughs> so we'll occasionally hear of a small bug that affects like one person. And as far as we know, it doesn't affect anyone else. And then we just go in and fix it. So
1: hmm.
0: it's hard to nail it right out of the gate, but uh, that's kind of build up,
1: the, yeah. the The CSS is the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, you yeah. Do, you, do you just slap a whole bunch of important
0: on there and, uh yeah pretty much yeah (laughs) it's like pretty much as you'd expect yeah Yeah, namespace everything Mm -hmm. we still had some classes like we had a close class on a on a close button yeah and we like realized that that was like interfering with bootstrap websites or something so Uh, then we had to like you know slap a namespace on all your classes Mm -hmm. importance yeah there's a really good book that we checked out from discuss makers of discuss Mm -hmm. all about like how to embed HTML and CSS into uh, people's websites. That sounds useful. So it's a good, good one to check out. Maybe we can link it up. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay,
1: all right. That's 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 heartening. It sounds like that's not. It wasn't too awful.
0: No, it wasn't too awful. Okay, cool. Yeah.
1: Uh, so the other the other day, I went to. Speaking of websites, <laughs> I went to. Um, there's this tiny, tiny yoga studio in my neighborhood, mm-hmm. and they have a website such as it is and i wanted to check out the class schedule and so i go to the website and like clearly that's that's got to be like the 90 percent case for people going to a yoga studios website right it's like right. one of the classes right and i click on the like check our schedule thing and it takes me to like a page not found and oh, i was like no. what and so i found another link on the page that was like just view our schedule and it took me to an external website that also was like now log in and i was like what is going on and so i emailed them and i was like hi um, so both links to the schedule on your website don't work. And they respond back like, No, they work. And I was like, Uh and so I went back and just double checked, it's like, no, they definitely don't work. And so I recorded a screencast, or a little gif actually, of uh-huh. like, I click this thing, it doesn't work. I click that thing, it doesn't work. And then I finally found like a third place, and if I like click there, like I get I get a schedule.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: sent that to and so I like I showed them like, you know, it doesn't work, doesn't work, does work. And then They respond back and see, they say, I see at the end there, you found our schedule. Everything's working great. Let me know if you need anything. And I was like, but you're, you've like a giant, all right. I just, at that point I had to give up.
0: Oh my goodness. (laughs) That is how
1: not to build a website. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's, I mean, it's easy to forget what like the less tech savvy people, how they like, they just, I, I don't understand how they could watch that and be like, yep, that's fine. Right. It's like, as long as you can find it somewhere that is good enough yeah, Namaste. <laughs> not very Zen yoga like. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So I mean, this it's like a, this is like a yoga studio in someone's front living room kind of thing. Like it's tiny; mm-hmm. it holds like twelve people. So mm-hmm. I kind of get that they're not tech savvy. Sure. But I was like, I think I'm at I'm at I'm at my limit for tech, free tech support for random strangers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah.
1: So I had a question I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. Sure. Um, so you. Sold the company recently. Mm-hmm. I assume, not to get too personal, that you there was some sort of like you took some sort of cash off the table as part of this deal. Mm-hmm. Have you found that changed your motivation, daily happiness, any of that stuff?
0: Hmm. That's a good question. I don't think it's had a very material impact, which is kind of what you would expect. You know, like mm. they say, money doesn't buy happiness, and it doesn't. At the end of the day, like what still makes me happiest is shipping features, making Mm -hmm. customers happy, all those things. And so, yeah, I think it, I mean, financial security is always good to have. So I think you get to a a basic level of like, I have X dollars in the bank account. I know that if catastrophe happened and like, you know, I couldn't have an income for a certain number of months, I would be just fine. Mm -hmm. And that, that brings a certain level of comfort, I think. Mm -hmm. And, it eliminates one, one more thing that you might stress about. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, it's like, it's still super important to be fulfilled in in what you're doing day to day. Yeah. I think it's a reminder that like, I know for myself, I I can't picture what retiring would look like for me, you Mm -hmm. know, like, and I'm not saying I'm, I would be able to retire right now. I wouldn't, but just the thought of like, all right, I've made it, I have all the money I need and now I can not work anymore. Like, right. You know, you get so much gratification from, from doing good work that totally. I think it's important to, uh, to still have goals and to still be doing fulfilling work. I feel like that's, that, that seems to be true for
1: everyone, as far mm-hmm. as I can tell. Like, I, I'm not aware of a counterexample of someone who's like, now I have enough money, I will rejoice in idleness now. Yeah. And that will fill my days, and that's all I want. Like, right. I, I feel like no one holds that view. But, so, but, I, but I also feel like that dream is somehow seductive anyway. Mm-hmm. Like there's something about that where I, I think people maybe it's I'm not sure what it is, but it, that feels like a dream that gets sold to people. Is like oh, once you, like if you hit it big or like you had this big sale or once you finally have accumulated enough money, then there's this time of leisure that is all pure pleasure, mm-hmm. and
0: that's when it's good. Yeah, I think it's a myth that a lot of people you know it's it's easy to go there in your head and think that that's some kind of ideal scenario to be in. I had a close. Family friend and advisor, you know, kind of giving me advice towards towards the end of the the drip sale, basically saying like, reminding me to make sure that I have future goals around what I want to do because here, like, everything I've been pouring my life into for the last you know couple of years is now soon going to be no longer my thing. You mm-hmm. know, I still get to work on it, but it's not it's not my thing anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think you know this person had seen quite a bit of uh, just depression and or just Mm. feeling of loss and and some of these negative things that you don't expect are going to happen. But like, yeah, when you when you no longer own this thing and now it's like, what what do I have left? Right. Um, And, you know, money doesn't necessarily ease that at all. Yeah. So have you felt any of that, that sense of loss? I mean, it's it's definitely a, a, a mental shift to think of drip as something that is no longer, you know, that I no longer have ownership in, but Mm -hmm. I think it it helps still being able to work on the product and see it, you know, rising to new heights and, Mm -hmm. and growing. And, and I think that's, that's the biggest thing. I mean, it would be pretty devastating to see like if this, if this whole acquisition had gone sideways and the company that bought us like end up shutting it down or something that that would have been, that would have been really hard to see. So I think it helps to see the product continuing to do well and knowing that the people who own it now want to see it do well as badly as I do. Right.
1: And and you still have a hand. You still are, are contributing to it. Yeah. You're exactly. not like watching someone else deal with it. Right. Hmm. Yep. Interesting. So many psychological issues around life.
0: Yeah, for sure. Are
1: there, there's mm-hmm. such things like professional therapy basically, right? Like yeah. therapists
0: for your job more or less. Mm-hmm. I think even, uh, Rob's wife Sherry is oh, a yeah. she's a psychologist. That's right. She does a Zen Founder podcast with Rob, and uh, I think she's has begun doing some some founder therapy and consulting work. Yep. Because I think there's a lot, especially among among founders, it's kind of a wild ride sometimes. Sure, so there's, totally. a lot, there's a lot of things, you know, balancing work and life, and figuring out how to buffer the ups and downs.
1: Yeah, I would say even in my position, where which is less precarious, mm-hmm. so much of my struggles are mostly like internal mental things yeah it's rare it's it's almost never like oh i don't have like the skills or the whatever it's more about like where
0: my brain is at and Mm -hmm. what's feeling fulfilling and what's not and Mm -hmm. and all that yeah along those lines we um so something else that rob and i were working on this week kind of in preparation for bringing on these new hires was we were taking a, a close look at all the issues that we have filed right now in the system and who they were assigned to and you know we realized that things were kind of kind of getting out of hand, like looking at any given person, I had like 70 issues assigned to me and many of them had been in there for, for a long time and just kind of, you know, sank to the bottom of the list. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I think just having those in there is, is definitely mental overhead. Mm -hmm. And you know, what we're trying to combat actively right now is making sure that the burden of maintenance tasks doesn't outweigh the really good features that we want to get shipped because hmm, mm-hmm. it could be easy to to just spin your wheels and work all day long on optimizing things on upgrading dependencies on fixing minor bugs you mm-hmm. know polishing ux and you could probably spend you could have a whole team spending just months on those types of tasks without shipping any new features yep. so it's it was actually kind of a, a therapeutic activity for me i think hmm. uh, to go through and like figure out you know if something's been in there for two years and it's a request that no one else has requested since then, then just close it out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if it's something that we should probably build, but we don't have immediate plans to do it and we don't know if I'm really the best person to build that, then remove it from my queue, like unassign me and just put it back in the bucket of unassigned issues that may at some point get done. Mm -hmm. So I think we knocked my queue down from like 70 issues to 15. Nice. And And that feels really good. Like it brings clarity to what we're working on. So we're also working on on doing that for everyone else on the team and just making sure everyone's got a short focused list of things to work on. I love it.
1: I thought about making a project management tool that just auto-deletes stuff if there hasn't been enough activity on them for very long. Yeah. It's like, we'll just just do this for you. Trust us. It's fine. Right. Like if it's sat there, like we have like, we use Trello for a lot of, for things like this pretty often. And so they have like, there's like a feature that you can use called uh, card aging. Uh-huh. Which is nice because you can visually see like this card has not been moved or updated or anything or assigned to anybody uh, in a long time, and so it looks old. Uh, yep. And I like that add-on, but I just I want to take it one more step, which is like don't even just make it look old, just get rid of it. Let's just understand that like this is not important.
0: You've proven it's not important by not working on it. Right. I've seen that on. Um, isn't that like on the Rails project and things like that? You see issues that. There's like a bot that's responding to issues uh, and saying like, if this has not been touched for X days, then either like label it with something and then a few weeks later, it'll close it. I think I've seen such bots exist for open source projects. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm not, I was not aware of that, but
1: I totally, I could see why you would do that for sure. Mm-hmm. Especially in Rails yeah. with so much, such a high volume of tickets and such.
0: Right, right.
1: But I, I think we, I might need this for my life. I do that anyway with my like own task system. Like mm-hmm. I, I have reviews built in, like I use the weekly review kind of thing and so Mm -hmm. there are times where it's just like this has just been on here too long i'm just it's just not a now thing i'm just gonna dump it yeah i think there's a certain fear in just like letting the letting a program do it for you but Mm -hmm. it might be
0: healthy i think so like things if they're really important should resurface Mm -hmm. you know exactly i've even found like we we often file issues from like random errors we see in honey badger our error monitoring system Mm -hmm. and like sometimes a developer won't get around to it for a few weeks and then by the time we look at it like it has been garbage collected by honey badger like it's no longer visible because it hasn't happened again so Uh then we're like well guess we'll close that one out (laughs) yeah nice yeah so uh i forgot to ask you on the other episode how was the camping trip
1: oh um camping was it was a mix it was really good from a um the gear all worked out beautifully okay hammock camping is amazing like ah. i slept so well in the hammock i didn't need a pillow i like i set it up in the afternoon and like laid in it for a minute to try it out and i fell asleep into a nap like almost immediately <laughs> and i was like that's nice. a good sign and then overnight the it was also wonderful uh yeah. it, was, it was the best i've slept outside i would say nice uh, it's just like so comfortable so all the gear worked out great the problem was i was kind of hoping for peace and quiet and instead what i got was like crazy car campers all around me ah uh. and so there's in particular there was this one woman that like around like midnight went insane i guess somehow like was like really drunk and started was like screaming obscenities at people like for a while and uh apparently attacked someone i think who she was with and so the cops showed up and like arrested oh, no. her and there was like flashing blue lights in the middle of the camps. I was like, this is not quite what I was looking for. I was like, I felt like I was back downtown. I was like, I might as well be home right next uh. to a bar. Uh, so I didn't quite get like the wilderness experience I was looking for, but that's not what you get with car camping, I found. Sure, yeah. Like, the people that are there are uh, have like coolers and stereos and children and dogs. Uh, so it's not the quietest situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am planning a trip for n- later in October that I'm excited about. I'm um, going cool. to, to Mount Greylock with some friends. Nice. And is that a bit more secluded? That'll be a bit more secluded. Yeah. The the places we're looking to camp are further away from, like are not car accessible at least, Got which it. is a really good start. Yeah. Uh, that way, at least if people are
0: there, like they can't, you know, they don't have a stereo. Yeah. Right. I haven't, uh, I haven't heard of the concept of, of hammock camping, like sleeping in a hammock, Yeah. but that sounds, that sounds amazing. <laughs> it's it's really good uh it's it's become i feel like it's kind of like
1: been rising in popularity and is cresting over into like fairly common these days right it started off as this weird thing that that only a handful of hardcore people did mm-hmm. um, but they have like it's like very much like a mass market thing now you go to amazon and buy a camping hammock and then just string it up
0: between two trees and it's great Nice. Yeah, i was gonna ask it didn't, it's not the kind that has a stand or anything right so you're like you're putting it between trees exactly yeah. yeah. And, and the nice
1: thing about that is, so the, the requirement, like, so in certain places, it doesn't make sense. Like if you want to go camp at the top of a mountain where they're above tree line, like you can't use this. So sure. it, it depends on where you like to go hiking and such. Uh, yeah. But in New England, there are trees everywhere. Finding trees is not a problem. Uh, mm-hmm. And the nice thing is you're off the ground. So you're away from the bugs. Uh, and you're also away from a rough surface. Right. So you can camp, you can hammock camp on a 15 degree incline and be completely comfortable because you're, it, you're it doesn't affect you.
0: <sighs> Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and so like in a lot of places in New England, there are certain camps, like established impacted campsites because mm-hmm. everyone wants to find the same flat bit of ground. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to set up a tent, you got to set up your tent where everyone else sets up their tent. And so you, you can't get away from people so much. But if all you need is two trees, you can hike way off the trail and get somewhere really private and
0: cozy and then set up and you're good. Yeah. Huh. I'm gonna have to keep that in mind if I do decide to to go on any camping adventures myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like my biggest blocker on on doing it is just hearing the stories about sleeping on the ground and you got rocks on you. And it's like, sleep is such an important thing for me. Like, and getting my pillow just right and all, all this stuff. Totally. So. <laughs> yeah. So I brought I brought a camping pillow. Didn't need it. Like the
1: edge of the cam- the hammock worked nice for just it was like plenty of like head support. Uh huh. It was it was great. I have a grand trunk double hammock, by the way, if you're if you want a specific model recommendation, it's it's been great so far.
0: OK, cool. Yeah, I'll make a note of that.
1: Yeah. And uh, got a tarp. I didn't set up the tarp. Tarp is for if it's raining, basically, or if it's really windy, you can set that up to block some wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a beautiful night. And I was like, I'm not doing this. So I set it up to make sure I could I knew how. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, OK, I can do this. And then I, was like, I uh, just took it down. And it was wonderful, like sleeping out, looking up. The moon was so bright and mm-hmm. woke up and the sunlight was, you know, on my face and the birds are singing. And I was like, this is, this is life. <laughs> nice. It's warm and cozy. Ben
0: goes and buys a cabin in the woods. I see that coming. <laughs> I,
1: I need some sort of escape like that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that like full disconnect. Like I, I, I try to get away from screens a decent amount when I'm not working and such. And I do a pretty mediocre job of it. I'm pretty yep. addicted
0: as we all do.
1: Um, yeah. And so but like the when I actually get really out into the woods and like I can I like put the phone away or leave it in the car, and it's like that's when I can really kind of get like a long extended period of uninterruption. Yep. And that's pretty magical. Seems very healthy. Yeah. It's almost like we were like meant to be in
0: a situation kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Um Cool. The only other thing I was gonna ask you about is um I saw you Polling the audience about using Stripe subscriptions on Twitter. Oh, yeah. I was curious. I was curious what that was uh, motivated by. So I've built a bunch of Rails apps that use
1: Stripe for subscription billing. Mm -hmm. And I've rewritten sort of a a similar amount of billing code over and over. Mm -hmm. And then I've gone back and fixed the bugs and then fixed the bugs and then fixed the bugs and then fixed the bugs. And and we have like three separate implementations of this, even at just a ThoughtBot across our three products. And I was like, there's got to be a better way. So I was basically looking to see, like, how, how are other people doing this? and What, what else is out there? Because we usually just do it by hand. So it, there, interestingly, are some open source gems that kind of provide that next layer. So Stripe gives you some sort of, like, not fundamental, like, building blocks, I guess. Uh-huh. Some pieces. And you're sort of most of the way there, but you still need to build a bunch of stuff on top of that. Like, you, yeah. need, to, you need to store your own, I, like, you need to store the fact that they have a subscription. And you, you, your, your system needs to know about it. You can't just offload everything to Stripe. And sure. so some people have written gems. And their are services also like Recurly. That take Stripe and then add another level of, on top of it. So, like, e- even with Stripe, you still like, okay, I need an invoice. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I, I want I, pro- I want dunning. I, I need to, to handle a bunch of different different things. So, sure. um, Recurly kind of gives you that next level on top of that. But I was just I was just poking around in here because this has been a p- pain point for me, yeah. and I was like, it's got to be a pain point for other people. And so I've been talking to some some folks about what they do and and what their pains are.
0: Yeah. That's that's an interesting topic to dive into because I feel like like the experience I had in building on top of stripe subscriptions was pretty good but there were edge cases and edge cases and more and more and like I began to question like should I have just built a custom billing engine which is what we did with drip and, uh-huh. uh I it would be fun to talk about that sometime actually yeah we should The inner workings Um, we could dive into that in a future episode maybe let's Um, do that next time when we talk about your billing engine i'm
1: curious Um, yeah because the edge cases thing has been my experience so like Mm -hmm. when i when i pull people on twitter everyone's like yeah i wrote the code once and it was great it took me like a day and i just know that that person has not gone back and tried to a b test different prices or like had a situation where someone canceled and then signed up again and then converted into a team plan and it's just like there's just all these little things that I, i promise you if you spend a day doing it you did not handle these things yeah, like the exactly. bare bones start a subscription thing that totally works. It's then all of the other th- like nasty things that kind of happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: That's where the I don't know that so there are people for whom this will never be like if I made a thing like this, it wouldn't be like there. They would not be a good customer, but it would be yep. like, OK, we're going to be a business for several years and we're going to cha- move from where we have separate plans to a single price to metered pricing like to, like you know real businesses where they really change stuff and you have hundreds of customers and things like that. Yep, that I think I still think there's like actually a legitimate pain point there.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: I signed up for a, a demo from Recurly to see how they how they're tackling this.
0: Yeah, that'd be that'd be cool to hear about.
1: Yeah, it's fun to go through somebody else's sales process too. Mm-hmm. I was like, as I'm doing yeah. these outbound sales, I, I, I want to. I'm suddenly more paying more attention. So I'm curious how they yeah. handle this. Yeah, but I put a note to talk about the billing engine next time.
0: Cool, let's do it.
1: All right, man. Today's show is produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 212. Thanks for listening.